Greetings, Rays community. Brent coming in live from Ojai, California, uh, and I am thrilled to be joined by two colleagues from the University of North Dakota Alumni Association and Foundation, the CEO, Deanna Carlson-Zink, and the VP of Operations and Engagement, Bob Knudsen. Welcome. Thanks, Brent, and we're live from Grand Forks, North Dakota. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Uh, we are thrilled to have you uh, joining the show today. Uh, and they were asking, as, as many of you know, my family and I are on a RV road schooling remote work adventure, which is why we're currently in Ojai, which has incredible weather and spotty internet. So uh, we're going to try to get through this. But uh, Bob and Deanna were asking where I'm recording this. And uh, I just want everybody to picture me on top of an RV with a virtual backdrop and some AirPods and a phone. That's all it takes to run a podcast in 2020. So it is great to have you uh, here. And I, I will, um, you know, really look forward to uh, where you came from and what led you into this path, uh, where you are now, where you see things going for the sector. Uh, and what I'm really excited about is oftentimes in this sector, um, I feel like it's almost a, uh, you know, it's like a global management rotational program where if you want to advance, you've got to move from one city to another or the military where you go from one base to another to be able to advance. Whereas both of you have been deeply connected to one institution uh, for, for a good chunk of your lives, the University of North Dakota. And so I want to start with you a little bit, uh, Deanna, um, uh, just what was your journey to the University of North Dakota and how is it that as we sit here in 2020, uh, you have been able to maintain uh, your passion and enthusiasm um, for, for that institution. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for having us, Brent. And I'm curious about the people driving by you. And I bet somebody's going to have your face up on Twitter saying, what is this guy doing on top of his RV? But um, it is an interesting year. So I went to school, a product of this university. I was a first-generation college student and um, coming from a dairy farm. And my father thought I was going to take over the dairy farm. And my mom said, that's fine, but you have to go to college first. And so she pushed me into college. I did my four years here and was getting ready to graduate. Didn't know what I was going to do. De Deanna, I, I hate to interrupt, but you got to give me top one or two memories from life on a North Dakota dairy farm before we go any further, because this is uncharted waters in the ever true podcast community. Just the top two or three things. I know you got kicked by a cow or you had something crazy happen. So, oh, totally. uh, so I got to correct. It was a Minnesota dairy farm just across the oh, border. Minnesota, sorry. Minnesota dairy got farm. It. Yes, um, definitely was kicked numerous times, um, was dragged across the yard by a bull. Um, and what else? I don't know. I, I always kid uh, my kids and now my grandkids that say, hey, I got up to do chores and milk the cows before going to school, came home after extracurricular activities and my chores were still there. So don't tell me you can't do the dishes tonight at six o'clock. So, <laughs> but um it was well, I just want to apologize to our audience in advance. As a Northeast Iowa pig farmer growing up, we're going to have all kinds of references and analogies that are lost on most of, most of you, but we've just got to take this walk back through memory lane for both of us. So uh, thank you, Deanna. We are going to draw parallels between getting 
dragged across the yard by a bull and having leadership <laughs> in the advancement sector. I have no doubt. Perfect. All right. So Minnesota, you, 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 uh, I mean, honestly, what a, what a blessing to have, um, you know, that conviction from your parents to, um, you know, uh, you know, when, when a lot of people uh, would have just jumped at the opportunity to take over the farm, um, uh, you know, what if your mother hadn't sort of uh, created that guidance? Um, uh, and, and obviously it led to a different path. So what was it like as a first-gen student getting to North Dakota? You think about those memories from, from your time on campus. Absolutely. One of my first memories of the Alumni Association, and I had no idea what an Alumni Association or Foundation were at that point, right? I had to go up to the building to get my scholarship check. You know, these were the days where you actually got a check. It wasn't just a line item on your statement. And I will tell you today, I know the name of that scholarship. And I thought, how cool is this that somebody would want to invest in me, someone they don't know, and how important this $500 check is to me. So I went through, didn't know what I was going to do. I had an uncle who actually worked in admissions and recruitment at a different university. And he said, have you ever looked at alumni relations and foundation work? I said, I, I hadn't. So I did some research. Um, everywhere I looked, they were looking for advanced degrees. So I found out who was the CEO of the UND Alumni Association Foundation, Earl Strinden, my first mentor in the business, you could say, and went up to talk to him to say, what is it that you do and why, you know, why do I need an advanced degree? So I went and sat in his office and he was a busy man, busy man, people in and out and phone calls. And I was sitting there just waiting, being patient. But my mother always said, you've got to make sure people recognize you, um, do something that they're going to pay attention to you. So he finally put down the phone and he looked up at me and he said, young lady, what can I do for you today? And I said, well, Mr. Strinden, I'm here to find out how I can have your job and be sitting at that desk in the future. I had no idea what it even was at that point. I was just trying to get him to pay attention. And um, so he reminded me of that story. He was here the day we had the press conference when um, I became the CEO, which is now already almost seven years. So it was just an absolute passion. I mean, I had an opportunity to have many different roles within the organization. Um, you know, Earl trusted me with a lot of different things, taking on supervisory role, uh, roles as I continued to grow. And I wanted to create an opportunity for other farm kids or those first gen students or anybody that wanted to get a college degree. I wanted them to have that opportunity. And that's why I still do this today. And honestly, Brent, like you said, that came from my mother, my mother saying, you can do this, go try it. You don't know what, what is out there for you. So that's my passion and why I've stayed here. I was here for 12 years, then went and worked for a regional bank for four years. And now I've been back for almost 20 years again. So it's been a great I love it. journey. We're going to come back to some of what you uh, shared with us. Thank you, Deanna. Um, Bob, different route, but it led to the same uh, office, um, a little more circuitous. And I can't wait to learn more about your journey, um, entrepreneurial journey, uh, again, and, and, and just give us a sense of uh, who you were growing up, uh, you know, how you ended up at UND, uh, and, and where things led for you uh, after college. Well, yeah, thank you again, Brent, for having us on today. But 
Um, I started, uh, you know, Grand Forks, North Dakota is my hometown. Went to high school here and, of course, uh, uh, you know, followed hockey very closely. And anybody in Grand Forks, North Dakota usually ends up going to the University of North Dakota, of course. So I did after after high school, I did move and um, attend the University of North Dakota. And um, I had that more of that approach of, um, I really didn't know what I was doing. And, and all the way through, I, I you know, spent a couple of years taking your regular classes, but it, it was that, you know, how opportunity kind of knocks every once in a while in your life. And I would happen to, um, walk in the hall is kind of lost like always. And uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, older um, uh, students that uh, I knew through high school um, followed me and kind of gave me a path into to, um, marketing education and really got me involved in, in uh, different clubs on campus, different activity on campus. And that's really you know, so I, it was more of my, by the time my junior year, I really got cemented in the University of North Dakota and really become passionate about something besides, you know, space and, 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 and activities, um, social activities and et cetera. So I, I did finish uh, here at the university, had a teaching degree, uh, uh, spent maybe one year uh, after um, graduating in the education field but really followed my love of business and, and got into um, the opportunity, uh, knocked again and got in the opportunity to um, uh, be part of a up and coming um, industry and it's the te technology industry. And it was the technology industry before the internet. So there again, it gives you a little bit of background of where I started. We did not have the internet at the time. Um, Bob, when, when, when were you getting going in, in that endeavor? Uh, that was 1982. 1982. So I won't tell you what I was doing uh, that, that day. Um, <laughs> I was one uh, as a point of reference. But so it's 1982. You're in Grand Forks. And it, it, it seems like, look, uh, entrepreneurship, probably not a word that people talked about. Certainly tech startup was not a word people talked about. And I imagine in the upper Midwest, it definitely wasn't talked about. So what was it like going down that path? What do your friends think, your family? I mean, did people even have any sense of what it was you were getting into? You know, really not. You know, um, yeah, the real sense of, you know, just to kind of give you a perspective of what it was like. Uh, and I'm pretty sure most of us have heard of the, the Atari and Pac-Man. And, and then that was kind of the, technology that we were, you know, it was a retail store. So that's kind of, and our goal, our goal every day was to sell a magazine and a floppy disk. And, and, and I mean, it was so new. Talk, then, talk about key performance indicators. Yeah. Did you have like a, a whiteboard in the office, <laughs> like floppy disk tally mark, and then a, a magazine tally mark. I mean, incredible. Yeah. I mean, and it was competition because all three of us were there trying to sell that one magazine, you know, and uh, so it was, it was kind of uh, uh, an interesting, you know, and I, I, I stayed in it for 25 years and, and progressed through the business. And, and it really, what I felt, it really set me up even for advancement work is, is really the change. 
I mean, every day it changed. I mean, you know, the internet came along, you know, we had dial-up modems, you know, we had a rack of them, you know, um, Y2K, you know, came in and, you know, I was sitting out there at midnight to shut my servers down because all these things are happening. But but change was really the, the ingredient that I, I felt that was really gave me uh, ability to uh, adjust and, and adapt and, and even not only in products because you, you all are familiar with how technology and products have changed but it's also the way we did business you know because you always got to change and 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 uh, I mean we were we were a retail store but uh, I'm sure many of you remember when Dell came out and gateway computers and the internet and selling on the internet, the retail big boxes got kind of squished. So you had to change the way you're doing business and move into more of a service provider, a solution yeah. sale, you know. So, but as long as we continue to grow and change and adapt to what is available for you to, to, um, and, and really it comes back to, you know, um, doing what's good for people, you know, and, and try to, you know, give them what they need and, and et cetera. So it was a quite, quite a journey. Uh, I went from, you know, first day employee into uh, ownership, into majority ownership and, 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 and handled all of that. And then of course, another opportunity and quite often opportunities knock and someone did knock on the door and said, we want to buy you. We want, we want your company. And in a small company, we were probably 25 employees, you know, not, you don't get those knocks too often. So it was a tough decision, but it was a decision that I had the, uh, I accept and um, did sell out and ended up here at the University of North Dakota Alumni Association and Foundation. And when I did apply for this position, and it was an operations position, and uh, uh, I happened to know, I already knew Deanna. I already knew the CEO at that time with Tim O'Keefe. I already knew the CFO. I sold technology to the to the organization in the past. Uh, we're all local. We worked on the chamber committees together, you know. So it wasn't like I was coming into something totally foreign, but once I got into the advancement work and even on the back end of it with operations, and uh, it, it's so, so much the same. It's really is. It's yeah. really, you know, you're doing good things, good people, and, you know, solution sell. You know, there is no. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I love it, Bob. And from the first time we met, you know, there just aren't a lot of former entrepreneurs who've had, you know, long runs like you had with an exit, who then have come back uh, into the space as a practitioner and certainly want to talk through um, some of that perspective. I also am sure, man, in the in the late 90s, I can't imagine how much time you spent helping your family members set up email addresses and modems uh, <laughs> over the holiday season. So I, I'm sure uh, I'm sure you were a popular guy, uh, <laughs> you know, at that time. Yes, without a doubt, without a doubt. So, um, you know, Deanna, let's come back a little bit to what has driven you. And look, we, we're, we're kindred spirits in that regard. First-gen college student, zero chance that I'm talking to both of you today. 
uh, doing what I'm doing with my family if it weren't for the access and opportunity that I had. And I remember the name of the scholarship on my financial aid letter as well. But I do have to wonder, you know, I, I have to ask you something about your experience and this idea of going and picking up a check. And I am all about digital transformation and innovation and streamlining processes and workflows. But I do wonder if there's something we can draw from that experience. And, you know, something about a, a discount on a bill versus the act of getting a check. Uh, can you just talk a little bit more about that? And, uh, you know, how do you kind of make sure that the students today, that, that, the, that the Deanna's on campus today understand what that net tuition bill, where it comes from, and, um, and, and don't just see it as a line item. I mean, I, I've never really heard anybody mention that before, so I'm just curious to get your perspective. I totally agree with you, Brent, that it is how do we help students today see the impact of philanthropy? And that is something that we have focused on in a couple different ways. Um, I'll, I'll come back to that, but fast forward to where we are today in 2020. And one of the pieces we focused on were angel fund dollars and gifts and open door scholarships for students who were struggling to come back to school to, um, you know, pay their housing in. And we have gotten such a positive response to from these students who receive these gifts. And so they are able to see the impact. It's an immediate right now. And we've lost that, I think, over the years since I picked up my check in 1982. And we invite our students in to a lot of the activities that we do. We ask our alumni to sponsor them to come to our awards banquet, for example. Um, we ask individuals to sponsor young women to come to our Women for Philanthropy luncheon. So they can hear the stories of alumni and say, first of all, I can do that. Look at this person that ran this international business. I could be standing on this stage someday. Or to say, man, I heard your story and I didn't realize that's why you gave a gift so I could have a scholarship. I can do that in the future. So how we can connect those pieces, I think for the roles that we do, philanthropy is just a wonderful job, right? It's not even a job, it's an opportunity. It's a way you live your life because we are the pivot point. We get to visit with the donors, um, hear their stories, hear the impact that this university or this community had on them, see them cry as they make their gift and then come and see the students put it to use and hear their stories and see some of their tears. What a great opportunity this is for all of us that work in this space. No doubt. No doubt. And I think one of the big challenges and opportunities in the midst of COVID is how can we think about that digital um, equivalent of picking up the check, right? You don't need to physically do it to still have the emotion. But I do think in the spirit of automation and the back office integrations. And when that check experience just became a line item, some of that personalization was lost. And so how do we take advantage of technologies like Zoom, like Thank You, like other tools in the sector to make that one-to-one -one connection in a more streamlined way? It's, it's, and to complement things like that scholarship dinner where it costs a lot of money and a lot of time to get people in that room and people are busy with schedules to start, you know, even thinking about like, 
What if there were a quarterly check-in between the donor and the scholarship recipient where it was part stewardship to the donor, you know, part inspiration and mentorship to the student, um, but that it actually allowed people to foster more of a one-to-one -one relationship if they want to, right? And, and obviously it's not always going to be the perfect fit for both sides, but how do we start thinking about instead of a, a once a year scholarship dinner, a once a month touch point via text, via video, via Zoom, via these new channels we have that cost almost nothing to an institution and can further cement the impact for both the student um, and the donor. So we do not have a solution in that regard, but it's just one of those areas that right now I feel like there's so much opportunity and potential because even donors who in the past might've said, wait a second, a Zoom call with the scholar, what's a Zoom call? Everybody knows now. And so how do we kind of take this you know, Bob, to your point, the, the, the digital transformation that has been compressed into such a tight time period here, a matter of months, and really start to accelerate what's possible. And so I don't know if either of you have, have comments on that, or if you, maybe you've tested ways to, um, you know, connect people digitally that would have been um, either confusing or unrealistic before. So we have started doing some of that, Brent, and um... I think our athletic fundraisers, so they work for the Alumni Association and Foundation, have really done a great job with it. So one of the pieces, the events that we missed this fall was bringing our athletic donors and our scholarship recipients to the table. They usually do a banquet. And what our athletic fundraisers did instead is went to all of these athletes, this, those who had received scholarships, had them do maybe a 30 second video, right? Saying thank you to their donor. And the students could do whatever they wanted. I mean, we had one of our ba female basketball players who did a shot behind her back, you know, and it went in and then she turned around and said, thank you, or a half court shot. Or we had the football player who was all dressed up and saying thank you. And I was actually at the table with the donor sharing that video. And the impact of that video from the student to the donor was phenomenal. Even though they didn't get to sit down and have a dinner with this young man, um, he it was so impactful, so impactful. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the, I think sounds there like are they almost ways. turned it into a, like a like a TikTok challenge or something. Uh, you know, meet yeah. stewardship. But but I but I think that's exactly right. Is how do you have, you know, instead of all or nothing, right? We're having the dinner and we're sitting down and we're spending the hour together or not. There are now just these like levels of personalization that we can bring to our work. The 30 second video is one element of personalization that is, I think, way better than the form letter saying thank you, right? And then the Zoom call where it's a 30 minute conversation would be the next level of personalization. And at some point there's the come with the president to the box at the football game and the really high end stewardship but it's those levels now that I think are going to allow us to scale those stories and impacts for very low cost, much deeper um, in the giving pyramid. But even for folks at the top of the giving pyramid, just make it a more fun, engaging, consistent um, experience. I would love to learn more about that athletics campaign because I feel like that just needs to become the status quo going forward. It, it's so true. And, um, you know, we often talk about retention of our donors, right? all of us in this industry. It's all about retaining those donors. Um, we also are hearing it now on our university sides from our partners. So I was on a conversation, a Zoom call Monday and 
with the deans and leadership, and they're talking about how are we retaining our students for next year? What can we do to help them? And all the deans are going through their list. And at the end of the conversation, I just asked them, I said, tell me, how important are scholarships to retaining your students? How important are those mentorships? Just what you're talking about, Brent. How important are those mentorships with our alumni and donors for those students to retain them? And all across the board, they all said, it is incredibly important. It is so important. So I said, reach out to us. Let us know what we can do to help you retain those students because our donors love that, right? They, just like you say, they want to be engaged. And if they know they can give a hand to a student who's on campus today, it's so impactful for them. And we retain our donors that way as well. So it's a win-win. Love it. Um, Bob, what's your take? Just given your work, you saw many technology waves from pre-internet to dial-up to DSL to high-speed to you name it, um, you know, from one-to-one -one email to social media platforms. Does anything in that journey remind you of what we've gone through from an innovation and transformation perspective in 2020? You know, I just saw a stat recently that there were 10 million daily active users of Zoom in December of 2019, there were 300 million by April of 2020, from three-year-olds doing preschool to 93-year-olds engaging with their family members. And I just, does this remind you, and we're in it right now, so I don't even think it'll take a few years before we really understand the impact of what we're living in, but you saw other major technology changes in your work. Does this remind you of anything else? And it does in a variety of ways, and, and probably the one that sticks out the most is, is the word I used earlier, too, is, is change. And this, you know, 2020 is a huge change for a lot of people. You know, like you said, we didn't use Zoom before, or a few of us did. And, you know, even back in my days earlier in, in, in business, you know, there's a lot of, you know, new things, new technology came on but it had to adapt and, and you had to adapt it and change and, and, and utilize it. And what, I, what I've really learned over the time, and I think we're gonna learn here with, with 2020 as well, it's not all or none. It's kind of how do you take that new, mix it with some of the old, and because variety is the spice of life, right? You can't have everything the same or it's gonna get, you know, where Zoom right yeah. now is kind of gives you that new new life a little bit, you know, and yeah. and, uh, and I know the story that Deanna was sharing with that donor, you know, the donor have to be in our town so we could see them, you know, but there again, it, it was good, you know, because they got to see the the, the uh, um, student instead of just seeing the words or hearing the words or, or read, reading the words, you know, so yeah, it's it's. It, it's really all, all very interesting. I, I'll give you one stat too that happened, you know, and, and there again, I think it was a Facebook post. And, and we always think that the elderly are not as involved in Facebook as the younger generation. And we had more likes and more, more clicks from that, you know, 65 to 80 age group than some of the, you know, middle age groups, you know, so it isn't, stereotype of age yeah. what, what happens so it's it's exciting that i mean this is what makes yeah. makes everybody gives up every day right 
Yeah, no doubt. And look, we're all trying to make lemonade and find bright spots during a challenging year. And I think it would be um, such a missed opportunity if we just didn't push further, because like Deanna said, if we can innovate, if we can be more efficient, grow more relationships, more revenue, it's more access and opportunity, which obviously we know uh, is a hot topic right now. And we need to figure out ways to continue to bridge funding gaps and so forth. I, I will um, you know, just say when you talk about kind of it's not going to be either or. There's already Zoom fatigue, right? It was new and now it, it quickly became old. Um, but I do think that, you know, some of the areas that I'm excited about going forward when things settle out is um, it was really hard to get president schedules aligned to go to uh, Des Moines and meet that donor, to go to Minneapolis and meet that donor, or to get the dean schedule or that faculty member to go and do a visit at a certain town. And, and so, you know, how can we now, um, recognizing that we're all a Zoom link away, that, that it's almost frictionless, how can we just scale more of those um, personalities, whether it's the women's basketball player doing the trick shot, you know, the quarterback of the football team, the dean, the president. And I feel like that is going to be part of the role shift in the advancement world. That in the past, and Deanna, I love your perspective on this, it really was about that one-to-one -one major gift officer relationship. And then when appropriate, you'd bring in the president or the dean. But generally, that was probably either in like big idea framing up front or closing the gift at the end and then stewardship. And I feel like now there's an opportunity for the gift officer to be more of the, the orchestration person or the the puppet master, if you will, where it's, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to need to be the star of the show. My job is how do I bring in the key folks that are now a zoom link away or an iPhone video away to make this an incredible donor experience. And even if that means that I'm not necessarily the star in the way I might've once been viewed as a frontline fundraiser, I'm not a frontline fundraiser. I could be totally off, but I'm just curious when you think about that, that donor journey in this, in this, sort of virtual, more digital context, what that role looks like for the frontline officer going forward. Do, do you agree with what I'm saying or would you modify it? I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, we, are, we are more of the conductor of the band, right? And bringing in yes. the right instruments at the right time for that donor. And you can do it quicker. I mean, so for us, right. um, when you had to get the instruments shipped across country exactly. to play the orchestra, that's really hard to do. But when you can share a link and the instruments right there, you know, it might be 90% as good, but it's, you know, 10 times, 100 times more efficient. It totally is. And you can do it. Yes, you can do it effectively and efficiently quicker, make those connection points. Um, for us, 70% of our alumni live more than four hours away from us. So it is, sometimes you can go out to California, let's say where you're sitting, and it will be six months before I get back out to California and bring the president with me that time or the dean with me this, that time. Whereas now it's just second nature that, hey, the president is available for a Zoom call and do you have time? And they're like, absolutely. So you can really move the relationship along a lot faster. I think often we think of technology as a disconnect. Um, going back to me picking up that personalized check and um, I think that's what we're getting back to. Actually, technology can be used to be more personal um, from yes. what we have been maybe the last 10, 20 years. So I think we're coming yes. back to the old ways 
in a new fashion with a new technology. I think you're spot on. And I think one of, you know, when you think about the innovation that occurred in the 2000s and, and the 2010s, so much of it was around marketing. It was about uh, reaching people through new channels, search engines, social media, ad targeting, marketing journeys, and, and it was email personalization. But the reality is that like all of that was sort of, um, it allowed us to scale up our message, but it definitely did so in a less personalized manner. And what this period is allowing us to do is bring more humans, more members of the band together. So it's not just, you know, one guy busking on the street corner with a guitar that you actually have a full band that can come together now um, and, and, and add more human to human engagement, which is obviously something, you know, that we're focused on as a, as a partner in the space. And, you know, Bob, it's an area we've spent a, a lot of time working on, um, you know, with you and your team. So I'm, I'm just, you know, we had asked you in advance, you know, what have you worked on most recently that you're most proud of? And uh, I really liked your answer, Bob. Uh, this is not an ever true commercial, but in this case, I will uh, indulge you. All right. <laughs> well, of course, how I answer that question, you know, is, is, uh, what I'm most proud of and worked on lately was the partnership with Evertrue and you and Brent and, and uh, I'll give a shout out to Caroline. I, I think you got a, a gem there and, and she uh, actually she introduced um, using video and, and answering one of my emails one time instead of answering my email, she sent me a video with it, you know, which kind of really led to me cementing what, what the product and what, what the future really holds for us in, in, in advancement as well. So it was, a, it's exciting there, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll extend that a little bit and share with you the story of, you know, what I'm probably most proud of is, and I, I'm, I'm a big people person. And, and it, it, I always felt that people are your number one asset in a company or they're your number one liability. And my job is to make them, our number one asset. And we, we had the opportunity, or I took the opportunity to move someone into that dedicated video environment. And, and we kind of used to dabble in it. You know, if we got around to it, we'd use it. But, uh, and we did put a full-time person into creating videos to help share our story, present our opportunities. And, and of course, with the, with the pandemic coming along, is it also kind of snowballed there as well, you know, and some of the views that we're getting off of these videos is just, I mean, our reach is so much farther than what our reach was even back in 2019. So it's, it's pretty, yeah. pretty exciting. Yeah, and I think, you know, part of the objective, obviously, Bob, is um, trying to scale our broad reach, but then also trying to scale our personalized reach deeper in the giving pyramid. And the way we've always done it, benchmarking, you name it, um, is a certain number of visits per gift officer per year, certain portfolio size, right? Key metrics across the sector. Um, but what we've seen is that for the most part, roughly 2% of prospects are managed prospects today. And for all the time we talk about this being a relationship business, the reality is 98% of constituents have not had a relationship. And we've done our best to try to scale in a personalized way, but I think there's nothing that replaces the human to human connection. So part of our work together now is how do we go deeper? How do we use data 
and all of this engagement, wealth, you name it, that's at our disposal to, with great precision, identify the next best unassigned prospects, and then start having these, I don't know, digitally native gift officer experiences, right? We're calling it donor experience officers. Other teams are calling it digital gift officers, but really trying to create um, uh, a toolkit and a new way to orchestrate uh, the relationship. So I'm just curious, we're obviously early in that endeavor, but even as you were thinking about the pros and cons of, you know, doing something versus doing nothing, the budget environment of 2020, just help me understand some of the trade-offs and considerations that you were thinking about. And then obviously um, if there are, you know, early anecdotes or um, hopes that you have, I think it'd be great to, to hear your perspective on that as well. I'll take that one first, Deanna. Sure, I can. Um, I, I think it's an exciting opportunity. You know, we look at your spot on with the 2% of what who we're actually managing. And it just doesn't make any sense as we get moving here. And part of what really, I suppose you could say one of the things that sealed the deal with us is everybody's having to be a digital gift officer right now, pretty much. And so if we can learn from some ex experts like your team, Brent, on how we do that better, how we scale up more, we talk about major gift officers portfolios getting smaller. Well, we're coming into a campaign, we're in the silent phases of a campaign, and we strongly believe that the largest donor for this campaign, we probably haven't even met yet. And how are we going to meet them? We're going to mm -hmm. meet them through these new opportunities, um, whether like you said, digital experience, whether we're getting them engaged, whether um, we find them through the social listening, we are very excited about all of those opportunities and what it could mean in opening up a great connection between a new individual and our university. Well, and I think part of this is, right, we're going to have data eventually, right? Right now, a lot of this is being rooted in missed opportunity or perception that when you look at the actual prospects that are in the third, fourth, fifth percent of our giving pyramid and not currently managed, they look like incredible prospects. There's capacity, there's past giving behavior, there's engagement, there is everything except a human connection. And so on that note, Deanna, when you think about wins that you've had in your career or that your colleagues have had where um, by building that relationship, getting to know the donor, and challenging them, do you have any examples that come to mind where somebody who maybe wasn't a great donor, wasn't a, you know, an engaged prospect, when you were able to get to know them and help facilitate and orchestrate the relationship, even in the old way of doing it, you were able to get to dream bigger um, and reach beyond maybe what they thought was possible? Right. Um, we're lucky that we've had a number of those examples, but the one that pops to my mind right now um, is someone we're working with, hasn't finalized it, thinking he'll finalize his seven-figure gift, their seven-figure gift by the end of December 31st. This is me knocking on wood right <laughs> yeah, now. Everybody that's right. Listening, okay? um, but it is how we, Bob and I just talked about this the other day. How could we have found this individual sooner through what you're offering us, Brent? Because this was an individual on paper, he looks pretty good. They look pretty good, successful, retired, where they live, but kind of quiet, um, not a big donor, kind of consistent donor, um, but someone who comes to you and says, I've got $5 million I want to give to the University of North Dakota. And you go, 
what? And so you start having these conversations and you could get the president involved right away. And you say, what, what brought you to this point? And he goes, well, I've always been here and we didn't know it, right? I've always been having this love affair with this university because I came from small town, North Dakota. The first time I had indoor plumbing was at a residence hall here on this campus. The first time I ever saw a shower was in the residence hall on this campus. And his wife kind of pokes him and jokes and says, yeah, now we have six bathrooms in our house. You know, it's so you go, <laughs> whoa. And he goes, everything that we have accomplished in our life started here at the University of North Dakota. Brent, how did we not know that before, right? How did, I mean, it's a great story and he has, they have so much passion and love for this university and we did not know him. And how many people are out there like that? Exactly. You know, who, who, you know, exactly. who aren't that, who aren't going to raise their hand and come to you, but with that, you know, with the opportunity to build a relationship, listen, get to know them, make the student connection, get the, the uh, half court shot uh, to get them reconnected and fired up. I mean, that's what I'm excited about. And um, that's what we've got to prove. I think part of the opportunity around scaling one-to-one engagement deeper in the giving pyramid is about qualification and discovery much earlier in the donor life cycle. Absolutely. But part of it as well is just being much more systematic about disqualification and finding out the people who are on the other end of that spectrum so that we then at least know that we do a really good job we're polite, we're persistent, we're using video, we're trying to get the student stories connected. But if at the end of the day, it's just not going to be their passion, let's know that. And let's continue right. to steward them through direct marketing outreach and some of the lower cost um, methods. But let's just know the answer, like yes or no, deeper in the giving pyramid, um, sooner in the donor life cycle. And that's what we're going to prove together. And, and I'm really, really optimistic because I constantly hear anecdotes like the one you just shared. And I know that when we go to more people, thousands of people, years sooner, we are going to have to surface uh, some of those same stories. And we're already seeing that with other partners. I cannot wait. Um, But at the same time, it is not just about technology. It is about the creativity. It is about those student athletes, the athletic director. That is the stuff that we also need to focus on. The content and storytelling authentically, whether it's you know, you from the dairy farm in Minnesota or whatever the personal stories are of those scholar athletes uh, and, and, and students on financial aid today, there has never been a better time to really make that kind of direct connection. So how, Bob, right, when you think about staffing, right, you've already mentioned video. And I feel like video is one of those areas that is, it's a little bit of an afterthought when you think about really where our direct marketing, where is our staffing, where is our budget today? We have a lot of universities that are probably still spending more on mail and billboards than they are on creating the TikTok-like campaigns that you were sharing, even though we know that's what gets donors really excited. So how do we kind of balance not over-rotating and throwing everything in this new direction with also just moving and innovating? Well, a couple things there, and, and, and just to go back one step, too, and, and I, through the last campaign, uh, I think Deanna and I heard this so many times, you know, uh, you know, when, when some new donor pops up and gives a gift, and, and you know, where you, you know, you hear, you never asked me before. You never asked me before. Well, we've sent you many letters, 
Well, that's that. You were right. That drives annual giving. <laughs> that drives annual giving leaders nuts. They're like, "What do you mean? I never asked you. My job. It's all I've done." But, Ew, but what they're really saying, what they're really saying is you, right? I mean, it's like the one person. to one, <laughs> right? You know, without a doubt, it's that personalized, that one to one, that conversation, that true. You know, can you help? Ask and 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 you know, and you, you stop and think. You know, why didn't I hear that louder before? But you know, sometimes it just takes a little time to to adjust to to get there. Um, so, but there again, just I'm always a believer. You know, and and you know, as you invest in new technology, new ways of doing business, and and that's kind of where we're at today. You know, because we've tried doing this before. And I, I, frankly, I believe I've tried a couple times and probably failed. I did fail on both of them. And, and, and it's because you really didn't have the whole uh, tool put together that really is going to make you successful from, from the script to the, the content to the digital. You know, we dabbled in it, but you didn't really commit to it and really put forth to it. So, so that's really that I feel that our investment right now is really, you know, 100% all in trying to utilize this newer technology and, 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 and get to more people, you know, with that one-to-one comparison, uh, personalization, yeah. you know, at the same time, you know, you, you take a look at, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, it was tough. Budget is always hard. Higher ed is cutting budgets, and and you know we got we got to be cautious about that too. But that's where I feel we're you know, a good leaders, good business people. You have to reallocate some of your funds that we're doing some things that maybe aren't giving you the return that you used to get, yeah. and move them and yeah. reallocate them to something that you know that's going to make a difference. So I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here because I had a conversation with uh, one of your counterparts, Deanna, who's the foundation CEO earlier um, today. And we were talking about this, this topic, which is there's something he was talking about in the nineties and two thousands, how much physical transformation was such a part of inspiring people in capital campaigns. Like let's upgrade, let's change the student experience. Let's create the student union, the new athletics facilities. And that there's always just been this connection to physical transformation. Yet here we are in 2020. And one of his observations was, we've never been as comfortable with big investments for digital transformation. We're comfortable spending $30 million on that incredible new building, but we're not sure if we're comfortable spending $30,000 on XYZ digital asset. And I just wonder, like, obviously you all have, have been progressive in that regard, but why is it that we're so comfortable with the physical in this sector? Um, and do we need to think about digital naming rights or, uh, you know, ways to really spark um, change in our digital infrastructure that we're, we're comfortable doing in our physical infrastructure? I think we do. I think we do. And it's got to come from the top. It's really got to, in my view, come from the president of the university and for that individual to say, this is a priority, this is important, this is how we're going to change student lives and create more opportunities, 
will you partner with us in getting it done? So I'm not even so sure it's um, my peers, organizations like ours. I think it's leadership at the university because they can tell the story and then we can go out and make those connections, but they've got to have the story right. And maybe, maybe universities now with the changes that have taken place because of the pandemic, maybe this is their opportunity to change their story and yeah. to get investments and people have um, have seen what's happened and maybe now too, they're more willing to invest or to even listen to the story. Right, no doubt. And Bob, look, it makes me think about your, your conversation um, or, or Deanna, your conversation around student retention, right? What are the revenue levers most institutions could pull? Tuition, retention, advancement, maybe research partnerships in, in some uh, institutions, but for the most part it's tuition, retention and fundraising. And I think that across the board, this opportunity to scale one-to-one -one engagement around enrollment, massive, right? The opportunity to scale one-to-one -one engagement around retention from the president to deans, to advisors, even traipsing across campus to go and sit down in that office takes time. And if you have less of that time and more kind of automation and touch point planning, shouldn't we be able to further uh, improve the, the student journey uh, but then certainly on the fundraising side, as we've been discussing. So I feel like we are just scratching the surface in what we're talking about. Human to human engagement is really good. It needs to be it needs to be brought back because the digital only is not enough. And, and I think we're, we're all kind of experiencing that right now. Totally agree. Totally agree. Very cool. Well, I want to be sensitive of time. This is really fun. And I'm feeling like I'm against the clock here. I've made no comparisons between uh, growing up on a dairy farm in Minnesota and anything we've talked about. So I kind of blew my opportunity there. So I'm, I'm going to try to come up with something here. Um, but, you know, as we, you know, as you think about, and it's just become evident in my conversations with both of you, you, you really have this genuine passion. Um, and, and, you know, that's what drives us. And I think without that, uh, it can be frustrating in the sector, right? It is slow. It is not ever going to be, you know, the, the fastest moving pace. But um, I think there are a few ways to uh, address the challenges and opportunities in our society today that don't run through uh, college campuses um, in spite of the, the challenges and questioning uh, that, that goes on in the media. And so um, I guess, you know, when you think about your career, uh, you know, Deanna, I'll start with you. The people who you've worked with, who you really think highly of, at the University of North Dakota uh, or fundraising colleagues uh, elsewhere. I know you've been involved with the AB and other um, industry forums. But when you think about the people that you're most inspired by, um, what are the skills and characteristics that uh, you've come to really appreciate in successful advancement professionals? So there are so many, so many. And um, one of the things you learn quickly is it doesn't matter where you are, you're basically all faced with the same challenges and opportunities, right? And it's just how you're going to address it. And so those individuals who um, are patient, you have to have patience. And uh, you know, you said this is slow moving patients and are really good listeners, um, but can look and envision a bigger, brighter future and what that means. So those individuals who can really do a forward look. We have a president right now, in fact, who, um, as we're talking about our campaign, he talks about moonshots, 
which is, I think, so, um, so important for who we are because we have an aerospace school and we have um, aerospace college, I should say, and a space studies program. And our, we've got a president that talks about we can build satellites and we can launch, not physically, but launch satellites from the University of North Dakota. That's the kind of vision that gets people excited. So whether it's on the university side, whether it's on um, the alumni association and foundation side, what are those moonshots? What is our next moonshot, Brent? Is it this? Is this ever true? Our moonshot for philanthropy, for higher education, or what's next? Always thinking um, ahead a couple steps. I love it. We are, um, our, our, uh, my home in Boston, um, just thinking fondly of what it was like to live in a home. But uh, yeah, my home in Boston and our office at Evertrue is uh, very close to the JFK Museum, mm. uh, the JFK uh, Library. And um, it, uh, their big uh, kind of display uh, last year was around the moonshot and uh, just that big idea. So it's, it's very uh, timely. And, and I think that's where, you know, there's, there, it's a challenge because I do think in a lot of regards, um, we are looking for the moonshot, the big idea, the next wave from an overall institutional perspective, but oftentimes stuck with relatively incremental change in this advancement space. And so, yeah, what is the advancement moonshot? What is the really big idea that if you were starting from scratch or really going to take this as a moment to, um, to reinvent things, not for the sake of reinvention, but really for, uh, to reflect the context we're now living in, to drive impact, efficiency, access to education, that is what gets us excited. And it is frustrating that it took a global pandemic to maybe force some of these ideas in this sector, but we would be, um, we will all regret, I think, if we look back. And, and honestly, there are folks out there right now who are saying things like, I just can't wait to get back to the way things were. I just can't wait to get back on planes and go see donors. And I understand that, like, I can't wait uh, you know, to see people in person and, and socialize. But um, if we're thinking that we're going to wake up in a year or two and we're just doing the same portfolios, the same metrics, the same visits and contact reports, it will be a huge missed opportunity. So on that note, Bob, when you think about opportunities for innovation coming out of this wave, you know, what are you excited about? Where do you think the sector is over-investing, under-investing? Uh, where do we go from here? <clears throat> Well, as, as we talked all, all along today, you know, investing in innovation, investing in, in new ideas and new ways of doing business. I've, I've always had the model, you know, there's always a better way. And when you figure out that better, better way, then you got to think about the better way again. You know, it's, it's always constantly moving and we does it got to keep going with. So often we get kind of, you know, get comfortable. And when you get comfortable, that's when you start going backwards. So, so I'm, I'm just excited for, for the opportunity of what's in front of us. And it's, it's just trying to, trying to find that better way of, of, of solving people problems. And, and it's just, yeah. it's all about that. Well, Bob, I think, you know, don't get comfortable is a great segue to our conclusion here. And I know that growing up, on a dairy farm in Minnesota, you were never comfortable. You were always being pushed and challenged. 
or pulled across the yard by a bull. And so, Deanna, <laughs> as you think about our conclusion here, um, any closing thoughts? Uh, and, and really, you know, we've been in the midst of a hiring freeze uh, you know, at a variety of places. But when you think about why the University of North Dakota, we've got a lot of folks listening right now who want to work in a place that is innovative, that is mission-driven, um, but also focused on executing and delivering results, right? It can't just all be fun and innovation. We've got to deliver. And I know that you've balanced that really well. So I will first ask, how did I do pulling it together with the dairy farm comment? And second, <laughs> uh, if somebody wants to stay in touch with you and Bob, um, are there opportunities right now at the University of North Dakota? Where should people uh, look to stay in touch with you? Yes, you did a great job pulling it together. And I will tell you, Brent, that what I have learned is I do not want to get pulled across the yard by the bull. Um, the bull is still stronger and bigger than me than even when I was 12 years old. But I'm going to be smarter than the bull. And I'm going to lead the bull across the yard <laughs> and figure out how to do that. And I think that's part of what we do, too. And yes, we have opportunities here. Um, well, we're hiring some more digital experience officers. Um, we will be hiring development officers. Um, we're looking at graphic design um, directors. Um, we think this is a great place to work, uh, a great team to join. Um, we say we work hard, we play hard, and we all have a great passion for helping students and making this university even better. We talk about creating opportunities today, tomorrow, and forever. And so if you go to undalumni.org, uh, we have the listing of our positions that we have opened right now. Um, but even if we have, we don't have something listed that you're interested in, reach out to us. You never know what the right opportunity is. Like Bob said, the opportunity comes knocking just because we don't have something listed doesn't mean there isn't an opportunity here for you. Well said. Uh, I think with that, we will conclude today. Here is to creating opportunities today, tomorrow, and forever. Thank you, Deanna and Bob. It is a pleasure to be on this journey uh, with you. Uh, and when the Grinnebago rolls through Grand Forks, you'll, uh, you'll know it. All right. <laughs> we look forward to that. <laughs> all right. Thanks everyone. Thank Signing off. Cheers. Thanks. Brad. Bye. Bye-bye.